minute. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, I believe all of us, as we read this scripture together, that we would all say that this is true. And if you'd like to stand when we read it, and that's reverence to the Lord or positioning yourself before the Lord, our hearts are postured before the Lord right now. But read it with me together, please. Something about speaking it out loud. Amen? Let's read it together. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful and unholy. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Amen. May God aid blessings to the reading of his word. That's what I want to emphasize today, but we'll look at it first of all. Now, if you think about it, we're in a new year. We're in a new decade. And we look at things, maybe we do a life review or maybe we look at things in this world today and we look at what we've attempted and maybe what we have uh, suffered or uh, what we have lost and so forth. And we begin to look towards the future to think about how we're going to better our lot in the year to come, how we intend to better ourselves, to improve our circumstances or perhaps how we hope to make the world a better place before the next December the 31st arrives. And this kind of reflection is especially, obviously, what we do at the completing of a, of a particular year here. And looking back, if you think about it, we've got much to be thankful for. Obviously, he's provided us everything we need, a place to worship, financial resources to meet our expenses, faithful, talented workers, and so forth. But most of all, we give thanks for those who have come to know Christ more deeply in this place here, who have experienced his love and comfort and strength in a new way this, this, year, this past year, because that's the main reason we're here, is that we're sharing the gospel and that we are obviously pr praying that you would grow in your faith. We would not continue to be babes as far as our faith is concerned, that we would mature in our faith here. And so obviously... There's been a lot of spiritual growth, but it's come through a lot of struggle and suffering, right? It's come through that. And God is faithful. We talked about it here in Sunday school this morning in Psalm 119. When David writes this, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. I went, oh my goodness, it was good for me to be afflicted. I'm not sure that I respond that way when I'm in a crisis. I don't know about you. It's good to me. I know Kendra said that today. She testified to that. She just hit someone stalled at 50 miles an hour and went into over Bayshore and all. And, you know, here they did surgery and all the things that happened to her. And by God's uh, protection, I believe God obviously protected Kendra. And I know y'all do too. And she does, certainly. And so she praised God. She said it was good. Somehow it works something in our lives. We talked about it, and we don't understand it, but sometimes we don't see it that way. We basically just say, get me out of this stuff, Lord, right? We pray, and nothing wrong with that. But certainly, sometimes it lingers. It's on and on. It's one thing after another. 
But having said all that, however, my focus today is not on what's past or what's to come. And the question put to each one of us this morning is not what changes that we expect to see, but what do we want to see? What is it, the changes that we want to see? You know, things are changing. God doesn't change. But times are changing and all. And so here, what are you trusting God for? In other words, what does this church, this church really need right now? Think about it. What does this church really need right now? Well, I'll, I'll offer this. And first of all, we need money to meet our budget. We need to grow. We need more people. And we need workers. But what we mo need most isn't any of those things. It's more fundamental. What we need desperately is for God to pour his spirit out on this church and upon us, his people. What we need to see is God's power released in our church and in our lives. And what we need to see is God doing great and mighty things that can never even be explained away, but only be explained as this is the hand of God here. And we need to see power convicting of sin, softening hardened hearts and, and granting repentance reconciling relationships, opening minds to the gospel, releasing addicts from their addiction. We need to see God changing hearts and lives, yours and mine, and out in the world. We need to see that, don't we? Certainly here. But you see, only God can do that. Only God can, can give us the power to be able to see that. And so, obviously, we think about it. I don't believe, and I mentioned in Sunday school, I don't believe we've even scratched the surface as to what God wants to do here at Lighthouse Fellowship, okay? I don't believe we're anywhere close to understanding how great our God is, okay? So it means you out there and me up here, it means that there is nothing impossible for God. And so whatever difficulty you're going through today, all things are possible with God, whatever it may be. It doesn't, God doesn't see it as something that challenges him or he wrings his hands in heaven wondering what I'm going to do with this. He knows exactly what to do. But how is it that we can tap into this power? How is it that we can also be a part of this? You see, we can see dramatic growth in this church. We can see the gospel of Jesus Christ going out from here and spreading throughout the whole region, drawing unbelievers to Christ, transforming lives, restoring marriages and families. And it's not a fairy tale. It's not a pipe dream. It can happen. But in order for that to happen, we've got to make some changes ourselves. First of all, we've got to change our attitude. <laughs> Talked about attitude some time ago, and all we were thinking, I don't always have the right attitude. I don't know about y'all, but you know, I don't. I, I still, I'm, I'm leaning on God's grace each and every day. But we've got to change our attitude here. We've got to stop thinking that what we've experienced so far is all there is. We are, we got our ticket, right? Jesus. We're going to heaven. But we've got to stop thinking that this is just it. That's it. There's more to God than we've tasted of and experienced and encountered today. God is so big. God is so awesome today. And he wants us to come into that relationship in that particular manner, to see those things happening, to experience these things, I believe, on a regular basis. You know we're going to experience his presence when we get to heaven. We'll be in the glory of God. You're talking about glory, it's going to be beyond. But he wants us to experience that today, certainly. But obviously, God has obviously uh, has that intention to do, I believe, in our lives and in this church. 
And Paul is warning here, the people here, is that they had a form of godliness, but they denied the power. And so what does that actually mean here? Actually, denying its power is unbelief. Unbelief. They didn't believe God could do it. You know, you and I, I don't know about you, but, you know, certain times there seems to be I peak and I ebb and flow and, and all. I was in a low spot this past week, and, and I had to shake myself out of it to come out. You know, you get to some places where you say, my situation is hopeless. <laughs> There's nothing, you know, I'm at the bottom of the barrel. There's nothing I can do. And so you begin to pray. And you begin to see God can do this thing. But he lumps this particular scripture in with greed and treachery and slander. And the, the, obviously the danger is that we become practical atheists. We don't believe God, do we? We don't believe he can do these things. We don't believe that he can come and release his power in this church and turn everything upside down spiritually. Amen? He doesn't, we just don't believe that. And so we fall in the same category as we have a form of godliness, but we deny its power. We go through the motions is what he's saying. We just sort of get through. We come into church and so forth and all. But, and we pray, but we don't expect an answer. God's changing all of that. And God wants to do it here at Lighthouse Fellowship. We sing songs about God's mighty deeds, but we don't expect him to act in our lives. You know, we're reading about all the wonderful things God did in days gone by, but we're ex not expecting him to do it now. We're not expecting it. Look at the book of Acts. Look at the whole scripture. I've been reading through, obviously, uh, the book of Matthew, Mark, and now Luke and all, and Genesis and all. God worked in power in people's lives, and they recognized it, and their hearts were melted in the presence of the Lord and the very presence of God here. And so we don't believe it. We don't expect it to work now. Having a form of godliness, living a good life, going to church, reading the Bible, you know, and, and obviously praying before meals, but denying that it has any real power, you see. Because that's what the gospel, the power is, is the gospel here. It's about, obviously, God changing our hearts here and God's power to overcome all the works of the devil and all the effects of man's sin. Jesus said in 1 John chapter 4, he says, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. You see, we don't believe that. The devil. We may have habits. We may have particular things in our lives and, and all that. And we prayed and prayed and prayed that they go away. And somehow they haven't left at this point. It hasn't changed and all. But yet, I believe God wants us to experience that. Obviously, do you really expect us to believe that we can experience God's power maybe a question here. Well, that's a good question. I want to tell you, when I preach, I don't get up here just to give a book report. I get up here to see the lives change. I see here that God's, God's spirit moves in people's lives. I don't come up here just for an intellectual exercise. I'm coming up here to see God change lives. I'm coming up here to see God heal people. I'm coming up here to see God deliver people. And for people to get filled with the Spirit of God. I'm not just coming up here reading something here at all. 
the Bible does say, obviously, the, the Word of God is living, it's active, like it's sharper than a double-edged sword. But I'm not just coming up here to sort of like go through that. I want to see my life change and your life change and all who will hear the gospel. The, it's a gospel of power. Think about it. You remember in uh, Scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. God's power. I can't come up here with the eloquence of speech. I'm an old country boy. I can barely speak the English language. Amen? Y'all can testify to that. And I'm telling you, every time I get up here, if God doesn't do something... If God doesn't move, I'm in trouble because I can't persuade anybody. And I come up here and Paul says, I come with to you with fear and trembling. Now, this is the apostle Paul. And he was totally dependent, what? On God's power. Paul said these things. He says in 2 Corinthians, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. In other words, we qualify, right? You qualify? I qualify. I qualify for that. And obviously, when he says here, it's not about a striving and somehow sweating before he finally intervenes. He allows us, I think, sometimes to, to, uh, to try everything we can think of. He waits until we've exhausted all of our resources and we have absolutely come to an end of the rope and the solution seems obviously hopeless before he steps in and he obviously answers our prayer. You remember the story of the, gypsy, the uh, Israelites leaving Egypt? Remember what happened? You know, the, obviously the movie with Charleston Heston and, all, and the children, all this big group of people, several million, they came behind this man called Moses. He went up against the Red Sea. And here the, the Egyptians were coming. They're going to kill us. And he goes, and Moses is going, what, what do I do now, Lord? We've got this huge Red Sea in front of us. What do we do? Remember what he said, stretch out your staff, remember? And the waters parted. It, they were at the end of their rope. They were right there to the very end. And maybe some of you feel like that you're at the end of your rope today. 2019, 2018, and whatever year has not in any way worked out for you. And you believe somehow, my goodness, God has forgotten you. Somehow he's overlooked you. And somehow that he, he's moved on to somebody else because he's disgusted with you. And that's not true. God loves us. And he hasn't given up on us. Even though at times we've done this and we've done that, God never gives up. He never gives up. And he never fails us. And he'll come running. Remember the prodigal son? He turned. And the father was running to him. God's running to you and I. Sometimes, obviously, we don't believe it. We've got a form of godliness. We, we kind of, you know, a little bit of spiritual stuff here. And yet we deny the power of that, that, uh, that, that godliness, the, the spirit of God here. So, obviously, we're, we've got to come to a place of desperation. So that we're absolutely convinced that we are not equal to the task God will that at task, and and then when we do, God will act. We he he will stand by sometimes and watch and wait. I believe until we finally cry out to him, and obviously say, "Lord, save us." 
without you, we are lost. And when that happens, when he, we come to an end of ourselves, he shows himself powerful here. But before that, obviously, we think we've got sufficient power to be able to do it. And we don't. We realize that. We have no power in ourselves. And so do we, how do we experience this power? Not by working harder or striving. No, what we need is, is obviously not more of our power, but more of God's power. More of God's power. How's that work? It's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's God's Spirit. Not by might nor my power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. He says it's by God's power working here. And we need a fresh work of the Spirit in our hearts. And in this church here, each family here, in Acts chapter 1, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's power comes through the ministry of God's Spirit. And the Spirit of God comes in response, what? To prayer. Not dry, formulaic prayer. Not reading a prayer request off a list. These prayers are wonderful, what we have here when we ask for prayer. Certainly, we need to pray here. But I'm talking about genuine, fervent, heartfelt, even desperate prayer because prayer is the barometer of whether or not we're trusting God. And you and I finally come to an end of ourselves and we cry out to God and say, God, save us. Save our families that are lost and wandering around. Save this country called the United States of America. Save us today, Lord. Come until we get to a place and saying God is the only answer and his power. You see, this is why I'm talking about not not really the little specific. We need, obviously, workers. We need more people. We need all these things. We need money to meet the budget and so forth. But most of all, we need God's power, power operating in the church again like it did. Obviously, back when Jesus walked on this, when Jesus and disciples went around, people getting healed, delivered, and saved. People all over the place were convicted and realized that Jesus was the Messiah. We need that today. We need the word of God again to pierce people's hearts and move upon us. Not just that we'll come to church because this is what we've done, but I'm talking about God's power. And the only way we can do that is we pray. We come together in prayer, obviously. So prayer is evidence of faith. Prayer is evidence of a heart that's looking to God alone, a heart that's crying out to God for help. And God will respond to that cry. Listen to this. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, Psalm 4. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth here. Now, I'm not proposing necessarily the changes in format for our worship service here necessarily completely. I'm not proposing some big new outreach program. What I'm proposing simply is that we pray. Is that we pray. You remember uh, I've spoken to my friend Paul Lagono. He's Kenyan. And I haven't seen Paul in some years. But I remember Paul was uh, just such a godly man. I went to seminary with him. And then I uh, had times that we met together at various times and, and all. But Paul would pray for whatever he needed. He was doing crusades in Kenya. You know where they have, you've seen them before, in the wide open spaces. And they'd have thousands and thousands of people. And they would go in and preach the gospel. And Paul needed a truck. And so he prayed. He got in his prayer closet and he prayed. He didn't go and say, maybe if I borrow this money and so forth and I get this and that and I can get my stuff together. He prayed. 
And what happened as a result of this godly man was is that somebody came up evidently and just gave him a Toyota Tundra. And so he had it shipped overseas to go. Whatever Paul Lagono got, he prayed for because he realized he was totally dependent upon the Lord. And he prayed. And so I ask you the question today, are we desperate enough to pray? for God's Spirit to be poured out. Do we really want God to move in such a way? Maybe, again, it won't be the way that we think He will. God's, obviously, He works that way. He's God. But that He would do something in our lives that will change us forevermore. I believe that He wants to do that today. But we've got to pray here. And you say, Jim, this is a bit extreme. So look at the early church here if you think it's extreme. What did they do when they faced a critical situation? They prayed. They prayed fervently and, and, and desperately here. Remember, Peter and John were arrested and brought before the Jewish ruling council. The authorities commanded them not to preach anymore about Jesus. Don't preach about Jesus. So what did the church do? They didn't mount a public relations campaign. They didn't lobby for their, their rights. They didn't sit around wringing their hands. They prayed. And so they received power to speak about Christ even more boldly. Listen at Acts chapter 4. He said, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And after they prayed, listen to this, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Amen. Prayer, prayer changes things. Prayer changes the atmosphere here. They didn't have much money to speak of. They had, didn't have a, a public building. They had no political power. In fact, they had not, obviously, they just had the power of God. And they were so desperate. But they prayed, and they prayed here in Acts 12. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for, to God for him. The night before Herod was bringing to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. Peter's life was on the line. Their only hope was God. And so they prayed fervently, desperately, and together in one accord. Again, God answered here. You know, God can do great things in this church here, but I believe it's, God is preparing us for this moment from the very beginning, preparing us relationally and organizationally, and most of all, spiritually. I believe that, certainly, that we are going to see some wonderful, remarkable, amazing things that will make us rejoice and praise God in the year 2020. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We've got to cry out to God to pour out his spirit. So let's resolve, each one of us, to make this new year growing in prayer in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You ready? Stephen Curtis Chapman, a contemporary Christian um, singer, I like his songs, and he sang a song some years ago, Saddle up your horses, we're getting ready to go into the greatest adventure of the unknown. Saddle up your horses, amen? 
and get on it. Let's get it and go with what God is doing today. You see, God is doing great things. But are we just having a form of godliness? But we're denying the power. You see, if we don't pray, what we're saying is we don't trust God to do this. If we are not a praying church, then we basically are saying we've got enough resources here to do it on our own. And we know that's not possible. The task is too big. So I believe that we are to make a resolve that we're going to pray in the new year like we've never prayed before. You know, your prayers are obviously very important. And we pray because of that. We don't just pray that because it's the religious thing to do. We pray to our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. We have a Father who loves us. Romans chapter 8 says, Abba, Father. I mean, you're talking about tender. You're talking about close. You know, I just want to crawl up in my Father's bosom. And let just look into his eyes in that way, okay? I just want to experience him in that way, the Father's love. You see, a lot of kids today, they don't know their earthly father. A lot of children have born, been born out of wedlock. They don't know their earthly father. They have no idea. And so they believe that somehow God is that same way, and he's not. Even when we had the best of fathers, and I had a wonderful father, nothing compared to my heavenly father. But we've got to know when we pray, that he hears, he's listening to us. You know, uh, Dios escucha, right? Right, Maria, where I can? Dios escucha. He hears. God listens. He wants to answer our prayers. He wants to, to move in this church today. But you and I have got a resolve to say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend that time away and pray. And I know God has convicted me of it. I need to do that. And I'm going to because I've made that resolve. And even if I had to get up earlier in the morning, I get up early anyway, if I had to get up earlier to spend that time in prayer, I believe that that's the case. And certainly, I've never taught on fasting, but I know some of us can't because of blood sugar reasons and so forth. And God is telling you, and I know obviously the Bible talks about food as a fast or cutting food out, but, but certainly if you're able, cut something out of your life, cut something, cut the TV off or whatever it may be, and get in your prayer closet, so to speak. Get away with the Lord and pray. Whatever it is, if it's food, and work with that also. We can do some teaching on that or ask me about it, how to do it. But certainly, get, put, get something up, sacrifice in that sense. But during that time, pray. Pray like you've never prayed before and ask God. You see, I'm desperate. I don't know about you. I'm desperate. I want God to be priority in my life. I don't know how many more years I have, neither none of us really. But I want God to be first place in my life. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, seek first his kingdom and his, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew 6 says also, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all other things will be added unto you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Have you ever been in a desert region and maybe you've been thirsty? 
Maybe you've uh, gone through that. You remember, <laughs> I used to, I used the illustration. I love the old spaghetti westerns. You remember uh, Clint Eastwood? The good, the bad, and the ugly. Anybody seen good and bad? You raise your hand. Good, the bad, and the ugly? Everybody has. Look at everybody here, okay? You can't deny it. I'm making you raise your hand. I love those old, for a few fistful of dollars and a few dollars more, love them. They, they stand the test of time. Just the good old westerns, okay? But if you remember the scene where he had double-crossed the, the bad, the person that was labeled the bad and all, and <clears throat> the bad took him out in the desert, if you remember. And he said, uh, you know, uh, Amigo said, if you can make it to the next town, it's like 100 miles, some kind of ridiculous amount. He was out there. He had no water. And Clint Eastwood began going through the desert and all. And finally, if you remember what he, Clint looked like, he was... Uh, whatever his name was in that, he was the good. But remember how his lips were parched and his face, he looked like he looked, they made him up well. He looked terrible. He looked like he was on the verge of death, remember? And he went over to a horse trough, remember? And he stuck his head and he slapped the water up and, and all, but he was thirsty. But he was, he was like thirsty beyond measure. Are you thirsty is the question. Is your heart parched because you need God to intervene in a situation in your life? Or you just want to draw closer to God? And maybe something has kept you from, from doing that. Maybe good things, nothing to sin. Maybe, maybe something good, but it's not God's best. And you know it's keeping you from coming and drawing closer to God. God's saying this thing's got to go. It's got to go from my life to my life. In your life. Because if we're not thirsty, he's just going, hey, you just go on. Keep going the way you are. But you see, I'm desperate. I'm desperate for the Lord. I want Jesus. I want him to come. Because he's the only answer for my life, your life, the church's life, and for this nation, this country. There's no other, no other way. Jesus is the only answer. And so your lips are parched, you're thirsty, and you put your head in that horse trough. You don't care. The horse has been drinking out of it. But you don't care. You put your head. You don't care what people do say about you or in any way. You just want Jesus. Do you have that hunger? When a thirsty man, a hungry man, is like that, he'll do anything to get something to eat, get something to drink. That's the question today. What is it that's keeping you from really coming into that fullness that God desires? I believe we're going to see this happening in 2020. Amen? I believe that, that God is, is saying he wants to do this. And you know God wants to do it a whole lot more than, than we do. But how do you do it? Let me mention a couple things. Then we'll hear from you. How does a person nurture a healthy spiritual appetite? First of all, you've got to make it a priority. What's your priority? Does something else come in and taking the place on the altar of your heart besides Jesus? Has something kind of come in? Maybe it's work. Maybe it is uh, ministry. Ministry. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's just life's concerns. Maybe it can be. And none of those things are bad. But you've got to make, I've got to make Jesus my priority here. You know, I'll never be able to tithe until I, I 
obviously I write that first check. The first check I write because I look at it and I go, man, I don't, you've got the funds because you come to him. You'll never do it by, except by walking by faith and saying, I'll take that tithe out to begin with and I'll do it and I'll trust God because it's his. It's all his anyway. He owns it all, but you'll never do it unless you make it a priority. The second thing here is, is I've got to reject those things that would kill my spiritual appetite. What is it for God? Spiritual junk food can include legitimate entertainment and other activities, but I've got to reject these things. You know, we take care of our grandson Rex, and we talk a lot about Rex. And when Cindy and I take him out to where we know it'll be dinner time, that we know, obviously, Rex, he loves to eat. He, you know, all grandchildren do, don't they? All children do. All adult children do. Okay. <laughs> but what we said, Cindy said, no, you can't have that till after you have your dinner. Because that junk food will kill your appetite. Because when we see it done before, it does. We don't want anything to eat. And so in our spiritual life, you've got to reject that spiritual junk food that would kill your spiritual appetite. We've obviously, we've got to have an appetite for God and his kingdom here. We've obviously, the old saying is starve what you want to die and feed what you want to grow. I've got to intentionally feed my desire for more of God. Betty uh, Maples this morning mentioned in Sunday school here, she said, I, I just started tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I began to experience the Lord, and I just wanted to experience him more and more. It's kind of like, man, once we get a taste, it's like I want more and more. You see, this is what happened. It begins to snowball. But it begins by putting God as, as, as the priority. We've got to do that. But the promise is, what? They shall be filled. They will be filled. He promises you will be filled. But all that other junk is going to be uh, pushed aside. I read this. The 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is a way of looking at how our lives are today in this particular way of writing and kind of connects in, in the way that you hear the 23rd Psalm written here. The clock is my dictator, I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when I'm exhausted. It leads me into great depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzies for activity's sake. Even though it runs frantically from task to task, I'll never get it all done. For my ideal is with me. Deadlines and the need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. Isn't that typical? You kind of like looking at it, 23rd Psalm, completely the opposite of the way you're living today. God has to be a priority. But the question is, do we resolve to make God our priority? You're hungering. I believe only God can do this, but I believe he's going to. I believe that we have a congregation of people who are hungry. I believe that what we've obviously experienced in the year of 2019, although many are difficult, that I believe we ain't seen nothing yet. I believe that we're ready to go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 Business meeting. Amen. Thank you, Lord.